Well, thank you for that great singing tonight. And thank you to the band and the singers. And thank you again for being here. It's great to see the church so well filled this evening. Now, if you have been following the previous three talks in this series, you will have seen the progression of thought. The righteous man or woman is likened to a tree that is planted by the river of water. Their lives take root in good soil. They bear fruit season by season. But as we come to the end of the psalm tonight, not everyone takes that path of godliness. Every coin has two sides, and there are clearly two sides to the psalm, just as a door has two sides. You're either on the inside of the door or on the outside. So let's refresh our minds by reading this psalm again together. Psalm 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. The way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The first three verses speak of a people who are godly, they know how to conduct themselves, how to live their lives in a way that pleases God. They know the things to avoid and the places that are out of bounds. Daily they ponder his word. Their work is fruitful, their lives prosperous. Such people are happy in the true sense of the word. God describes them as blessed. Then we come to the flip side of the coin. Verse 4. The ungodly are not so. A plain, 
simple statement. They aren't like the people described in the earlier verses. Their lives are like the chaff that the wind drives away. They serve no useful purpose. There's no substance to their lives, nothing for God. Wind-blown dust. It's fitting that we speak of it tonight because here in the United Kingdom we have just come to the end of our harvest season. And don't we love to sing it? Come, ye thankful people, come. Sing the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in ere the winter storms begin. Had you gone down to your local farm, you may have seen the threshing, the chaff been blown away in the wind. It's a picture of the ungodly man or woman tonight. Their walk, or better, their lifestyle, is contrary to what God desires for them. And where will it all end? What of their future? Where will the path of the ungodly ultimately lead? That's the question. And did you notice that they're also called sinners? And in some translations, the wicked. Verse 5 tells us that they shall not stand in the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous. What does it mean? The judgment, the congregation of the righteous. But before we speak of the judgment, it is important to say that it need not be the case because provision has been made. A Savior has died, has taken their judgment, has paid the penalty that their sins deserved. Christ died for the ungodly. And if unrepentant, it will be for them an endless conscious separation from God. For once the sinner crosses the line, goes out into eternity without Christ, their doom is sealed, and they will surely appear before the righteous judge, and that without defense. Their case won't stand up in court, and salvation is now beyond their reach, because the Son of Man, the Bible tells us, has authority only on earth to forgive sins. And the one before whom they stand on that day is the Lord Jesus himself, whom God has ordained to be the final judge. Revelation 6. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? 
the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. This was part of the Apostle Paul's sermon in Athens. We read it in Acts 17. God now commands all men everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. In Malachi chapter 3, the prophet says these words, We will see again a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Which clearly means also that as lost sinners, they will never know what it is to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Those made righteous in Christ, cleansed by his blood, forgiven. A sad end for those who refuse God's great provision in Christ. It is a solemn message, and I don't want to labor it any further. But what is the future of those the psalmist describes as blessed? The congregation of the righteous. And what a gathering of the redeemed that will be. Can I ask a personal question tonight to someone in church? Will you be there? The congregation of the righteous. Those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Will you be there? We used to sing a great old hymn years ago. I shall, for I have been redeemed. With blood of worth untold. The blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, more precious far than gold. The congregation of the righteous. But let's go back to see how the tree is progressing, to see how we as Christians are getting along. Planted, tended, watered, growing, maturing. That's the word, maturing. Because as believers in Christ, we should be making progress every day becoming more and more like Christ until at last we reach full maturity, which is to be like our Lord himself. That's the believer's goal. And how do we mature? How do we get there? Well, the earlier part of the psalm tells us. Meditating in his word, day and night, getting to know him, maturing as Christians. Ephesians 4 says this, he equips his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all arrive, 
until we all arrive at the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God at full-grown man, at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We were reminded this morning by Harry Philippians, straining for the prize, pressing on towards the mark until we all arrive. Darby must have been meditating on these things when he wrote that wonderful hymn of his. And is it so? We shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which he for us has won? Father of glory, thought beyond all thought in glory to his own blessed likeness. Brought. One day we're going to be like him, brought to full maturity. Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. David Gooding said once, what would be the purpose of a journey if there is to be no destination until we arrive? Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 35. <clears throat> These are wonderful words. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it, but only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing flee away. We will have arrived at last. But back to earth for a moment. Look again at verse 6 in the psalm. This is important. The Lord knows the lives of the righteous. Those described in the earlier verses who did everything right. It doesn't mean that life for them was always a bed of roses. Many, no doubt, experienced the same trials and troubles in life as we do today. And God took notice of it. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows where you are tonight. He was fully aware of what some of them had to suffer. He knew all about their lives as he does ours. The Lord knows. We often ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? There's no answer to it. In the end, God will have the glory who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. We have to leave it there. 
except to say it. It'll be worth it when we see him, when we see his face. And the toils of the road will seem nothing when we get to the end of the way. But we're not on our own tonight. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that holds us back, the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've been cheered on by those who have run the race before us. And like them, we keep our eye on the finishing line where Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What are they saying? Keep on going, they're saying. You can do it. And even when you trip up, even when you fall, get up and keep going until you arrive. They're cheering us on. Verse 8 and 9 in Revelation says this. John says, When I saw and heard these things, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said, See that you do not do that. Worship God. Of course, we worship God now through the Spirit, but what will it be to see the face of the one who died for us on the cross, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, to bow in humble, grateful worship and thank him for his mercy and grace that reached down to poor sinners like you and me. We were singing about the cross tonight. Thank you for the cross. Have you ever said thank you for the cross? Realizing that when Jesus died on the cross, it was for your sins, it was for you, he died. That you might make you right with God, that there'll be a place for you when all of life is over, to be with Christ, to be with him and like him forever. He had to pay the penalty. He suffered. So that we need not suffer. He died that we might live. Thank you for the cross. Maybe someone will do that tonight for the very first time. And so as we come near the conclusion, we want to see the finality of it all. The finality of it all. Verse 11 in Revelation 22. And these are solemn words that we read. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. But as I said earlier, there are two sides to the coin. There are two sides to the door. You're either on the inside or you're on the outside, one side or the other. He who is righteous, not in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, 
He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. There's a finality to it. It must be said that God has been just in his dealings with mankind. He gave us a choice, a free choice. Some make the wise choice. Others choose poorly. And when 10,000 years have rolled their course, the lost are still perishing, filthy still, unjust still, separated from the God who loved them and who would have saved them, and eternity has scarce begun. But what of the redeemed? What of the godly? Righteous still, holy still, to enjoy forever the very presence of our blessed Lord, to be with him, to be like him forever. As we consider these things tonight, we can but bow down before him in adoring wonder and humble worship. Some years ago, I had the opportunity of hearing the late Peter Jackson, known as the blind pianist. Some of you may have remembered him. He was performing in Newton Arts. The words of one chorus that he taught us went like this. He rescued me from a dying creation. He rescued me with a mighty salvation. I really cannot understand it. Why God in mercy should have planned it. My heart, it simply overflows. And I just worship. And I just worship. And I just worship, worship him. His spirit fills me. And Jesus thrills me. And I just worship, worship him. And that will be for the righteous, for the redeemed, their unending occupation. Let's pray. Our Father, we have read solemn words tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into all of our hearts. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for such a great salvation. And you have given us a choice. And there may be some tonight listening to this service who are at the crossroads. Give them deciding grace tonight to choose Christ. We pray that you would bless each person here, each family, each home represented. Speak to us through your word, 
By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.